This is Transistor.fm. Hey, it's July 10th, and you know what that means. It's time for another episode of Product People. Justin Jackson here, still in Alberta. I'm on vacation now, so I'm actually pre-recording this. You'll hear it on Thursday, July 10th. But I'm recording it seven days early here in Edmonton. Last week's episode, some people said, first of all, my microphone was quiet. It was too quiet. This is a brand new microphone that I'd never used before, and the, the levels were a little off, as they say in the business, so hopefully this week's a little bit better. Sorry about that. And I also probably sounded tired because i just come off that big car trip with the kids, you know? When was the last time you did a big road trip 12 hours with four kids? Let me know, at Justin on Twitter. Let's see what else is going on. Still working on www.productpeople.club. You can go there and sign up for the waiting list. I'm hoping to have some more information soon. Just working with a developer right now to get some pieces built. And hopefully I'll be able to start letting in beta testers. The way to join the beta is to go to productpeople.club and sign up for the email list. This week, we're going to chat with Dan Norris. He's an Aussie. He's actually a bogan. Do you know what a bogan is? I didn't know what a bogan was before I chatted with Dan. But uh, he, uh, he's an interesting guy. He's tried to build a SaaS product called Informally. And... That didn't work. He worked on it for over a year. Nothing really happened. He wasn't making enough money. And he was basically had one weekend left before he needed to go back and get a new job. So in that weekend, he created a new business called WP Curve. He uh, joined up with a co-partner called Alex. And now they both run WP Curve together, and it's doing really well. This business that they started in a weekend, he goes through all of his revenue numbers and and all the things that they tried that worked and didn't work. So, I hope you enjoy this episode. Once again, here is Stryker. Justin Jackson here, and I am live with Dan Norris, the founder of WP Curve, and the author of a soon-to-be-published book called The Seven-Day Startup. And we're going to be talking about a lot of things today, framework for evaluating ideas, but first, uh, let's say hi to Dan. How's it going, Dan? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. I should I should uh, point out that I'm the co-founder, because if Alex watches this and he Here's you call me the founder, he's gonna totally lose his shit. So <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. We gotta cover all the bases here. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of stakeholders. <laughs> so you're the founder of co-founder of WP Curve, and are are you guys both writing the book together too? Um, I you know what the the book I kind of just wrote really really quickly. It just came out so easily because I'd just been through all these struggles and um. We had planned to write it together. I pretty much wrote the whole thing. He reviewed the whole thing, 
Um, and then I've got a bunch of people to give us feedback, and we've got a, a, an editor going through at the moment who's turning my horrendous writing into something that's readable. So, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how it worked. But he's been helping with every step. But but I I did actually write like the original kind of content all myself. Yeah. Now, just so people don't think I'm talking to an imposter, a lot of people that have seen you in the past have seen you with this big, giant-ass beard. Are you the real Dan Norris? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually his son. <laughs> You look I like got asked for I got asked for ID last night when I went to a restaurant and No way. So that that actually isn't true. It's not true. But I'm anticipating that that might happen. <laughs> so you shaved the beard. You had a beard, it's gone. Yeah, only yesterday too. And I gave myself a haircut. So I mean j just to come on this show too. This is amazing. What people will do. It's it's yeah. so good. <laughs> That's the kind of pull you've got, Justin. I really well, wanted to keep my beard. I've been growing it for this craft craft beer event in Melbourne in a oh, couple man. of weeks, but I mean, I couldn't I couldn't do that to your audience. So. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I we got the cleaned up version of Dan Norris. It's a whole new Dan Norris, just for everyone <laughs> listening or watching to the show. All right, let's let's start. Uh, you know, I know your story, but there's a lot of people here might that might not. Uh, can you give us the Coles Notes version of your startup journey so far? Everything from uh, talking to Jason Calacanis to where you are now with WP Curve and Alex. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I ran what I would call a business for six years. I wouldn't call it a startup because it wasn't particularly innovative and it wasn't high growth and it wasn't high risk. It was just a, a web agency that was a pretty boring sort of a business. Um, I sold it because I wanted to create something that was more exciting and, and I tried to do that with a, a business called Informally or an app called Informally. Um, I managed to get a fair bit of attention for it but not many paid customers and I found myself in a position a year later where I was sort of two weeks away from getting a job, um, having to get a job I should say because who knows how long it would have actually taken me to get a job, especially with that beard. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, and then I think I spoke to you on your podcast not long after that, and I'd launched WP Curve, and I'd just met Alex. Well, I hadn't actually met him, still haven't actually met him, but I just joined forces with Alex and my co-founder, and um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was just a really big turnaround. I think we did a lot of things differently with this business, and we went from I think before getting a job, I was doing four hundred and seventy-six dollars a month in recurring revenue and I was spending about $2,000 a month, so I was losing a lot of money. And now I think we're up to $16,000 a month recurring, and we've got a team of nine and um, 250 customers. And Yeah, I mean, the book is really just how I started this business in seven days and how it's different from the previous ones I've started and failed. Yeah, and, and just to, to recap, you spent a year on Informally. A year on a business that, and you were, if anyone had followed you during that time, like you were doing everything uh, quote unquote right, you know, like you seem to be following some of the lean startup methodology, you seem to be really gifted with uh, content marketing and getting your message out there and building an audience, so why do you think you struggled with Informally and then what was the difference, because then you created a business in seven days, why was there a difference between those two? Um, well, I mean, I did do one thing right in that year, which was, as you say, I, I did a lot of content and I managed to get a, get a reasonable amount of attention for kind of one guy who was a nobody. Um, 
before that year, I think I'd written about 200 blog posts on my blog, and I don't think I'd ever had a single post get more than 10 tweets. Um, so, I mean, I'd never done a piece of content that had had any kind of impact whatsoever yeah. before that. Um, and for some stupid reason, I thought it was a good idea to start a business and market it with content marketing. I don't know why. But <laughs> I kind of thought it would work. And the content part of it did work, and I kind of tapped into that a little bit, tapped into that audience, and with Informally, I just wasn't selling them my product that they wanted. And as soon as I came out with something that they wanted, <clears throat> we kind of got that natural momentum which I had from the content, like I had this kind of natural momentum happening with the site and the traffic and the podcast and, and all the content, but it just didn't translate to the business. And so I sort of just started paying more attention to where where that momentum was happening. And we've had we've launched four businesses in the last, including informally in the last 12 months, we've had four businesses um, wow. and three of them have failed. And... Um, WP Curve is the one that picked up that natural momentum and then we kind of followed that and just started listening to customers and doing what they wanted and, and really focused in on, on what was working. Yeah, I think this is a really good point and it, it's actually really hard, um, it's hard to understand unless you've gone through it, but this idea that um, there's some technical people that think if you build the right thing that is like uh, perfectly coded and or perfectly designed or perfect whatever that people will naturally like it because it's you put a lot of work into it. There's some content and marketing people that think they can sell anything if you know they they push it hard enough. Yeah. And it seems like you learned that none of that really matters unless what? What's the missing ingredient? Well, there's a I mean there's a few things I did wrong with that business. Um, and the book really fundamentally is about not making decisions based on assumptions and it's about doing things quickly and like with WP Curve for example we didn't do any validation so um, I didn't I didn't really ask anyone I mean I put a thing up in a forum asking people if it was a good idea but I mean I was launching the next day anyway so it didn't really matter what they said um, you know with informally I spent six months on the perfect payment gateway with WP Curve, I spent 30 minutes setting up PayPal. Um, with Informly, I spent $2,000 on a domain name. I spent $2,500 on the graphic design for the website. Um, with WP Curve, I came up with a shit name. By the afternoon, I'd registered the domain. I paid $30 for a theme, put it up there. And we used that for six months, you know, to get to 10 grand a month or something. Um, wow. And we only replaced it, you know, three weeks ago. And and the first name was WP Live Ninja or something, right? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was kind of cool, but the <laughs> the thing is, it it didn't really matter. I mean, the name just the name doesn't really matter. So in in the book, I kind of go go through what what do you, what's an appropriate amount of time to spend on something, and like I think like your business idea, if you spend one day on that, that's cool. If you spend one day on the name, if you spend one day on the website, spend one day on a marketing plan. Um, spend one day on, on thinking about like how you're actually going to make money, like what's the business model, and then launch the damn thing, and then don't spend any more time acting on assumptions because all of that is assumptions. I mean, you do have to do that. You do have to have a name, but everything you assume about your name and how important it is and your logo and all the rest of it is going to be wrong 90% of the time. So I think you should be making the decisions after you launch and... Um, Part of that is having an idea that you can launch in seven days. 
Um, and part of it is just working out the most effective way to test something. So with Informly, for example, like you asked, what, what was the difference between that and WP Curve, going back to your last question? One thing was, like with WP Curve, I knew after probably one day whether or not people wanted this because they started paying me for it. It was quite simple. There was no validation necessary. It was like, do you, do you have this problem? Do you, do you want to pay for it? Yes, done. Um, I mean, we, we still need to work out the business model and a whole bunch of other things, but we don't need to validate the idea. Um, with, with Informly, it was, you know, I, I spent six to eight months just building the thing just to work out if someone actually had this problem. And I could have quite easily done that probably in less than seven days. Like I could have just threw something up that looked like a live app and did a whole bunch of man manual number crunching for them, asked them to pay. As soon as I realized people weren't paying, um, I would have known that it just wasn't the right idea. Um, and so just, just that fundamental problem of making a whole bunch of assumptions and acting on those rather than just testing it with real data. And there's a, in the book I go through a bunch of examples of other businesses who've launched quickly and there's a company called Bear Metrics who do Stripe analytics. Yeah. And that's one of the ones I like because they're, it's a very similar app to what I built. Um, but he built it in eight days and within a month he had paid customers. Within six months he was doing, you know, six or seven grand a month and was a, you know, a, a real business. Um, yeah. Yeah. And here's, uh, here's a screenshot of uh, Bear Metrics. That's what he was just talking about. Uh, this is Josh Pigford's app. And really, if you can read his blog post on how he went through the process of building this, it's really great. Uh, and Dan, what you were just talking about reminded me of this Jason Fried quote. Uh, the only two people who can give you real feedback about your product are people who just purchased it and people who just canceled. Oh man, that's so true. That's so true. That one of the um, I had an interview yesterday with Startups for the Rest of Us, which is another one of my favorite shows, like yours. Um, <laughs> it is a great show. It's one of my favorite too. Yeah. Um, and and one of the and the topic we were talking about are like startup rules to live by, and one of the ones we talked about was pay attention to churn. And that's like that quote you read just there is just perfectly sums up the whole message that I've taken out of this, which is like most people pay attention to a lot of stuff that is just assumptions. And, you know, you, they'll kind of debate, you know, should we have a monthly service or should we just charge one off or, you know, all the things, or, or how should we price? All of that stuff is assumptions. But when, when you start getting people, I mean, when you, when you get people signing up, that that is real data. When you get people cancelling, it's even better. Like we... We've learned so much from people canceling our service in this business and in and in the other businesses I mentioned. Like, especially especially if you ask them, um, what we do is send them a one-line email that says that says, "Did we do something wrong?" That's it. Um, and sending that email makes them reply because they kind of feel bad that we think they that we did something wrong. Yeah. Um, and you find out all sorts of stuff from that. It's and it's not like. It's not <clears throat> it might not necessarily that, that you've done something wrong or that you've screwed up the service, but there could just be a fundamental problem with your model or like the customers you're targeting or something. And that's like what I would call real data. And yeah, and, and so, so now I was just actually, actually thinking about this this morning. Like we, we have like an idea of, of, of a new angle we might take with our offering. And I was thinking like in the past, I would probably survey people, even survey customers and say like, would you take up this offering or, or would you just 
stick with what you've currently got. Um, I wouldn't even consider doing that now. I was just thinking this morning, like, a year ago I would have surveyed, which is just a horrible, horrible idea. And, you know, now we would just put the page up and it would be live and we'd deal with the consequences of that and we'd actually look at who's purchasing it and who's not purchasing it, who's cancelling and why they're cancelling. Um, and that's that's super, super important. I think I think you can, you can get to that stage a lot quicker than you think you can. Um, the stage where you've got real customers, even if it's only a couple, and you can talk to them and get real data rather than all the assumptions. Yeah, I think this is so important. And it, in some ways, um, in some ways, it's frustrating for anyone that is really in love with their idea, or really in love with just the idea of running a business, or really in love with the technology. I think, I mean, I think we've all been in, in that place before, where we just get something in our head and no one can talk us out of it, and and yeah. and we just want to do it, and and I think it is hard to get out of that kind of rut. But there is this really this great freedom when you realize, okay, I'm going to push all of that stuff aside, and I'm just going to, like you say, put up a landing page, and see what happens. There's a freedom in that because then if someone someone signs up, then you know that it's real. You don't have to guess anymore. And yeah. And then you can get feedback right away. Can you give us an example of, like, in that email, did we do something wrong? What's something that you got out of that that you ended up, you know, putting into the product or putting into your marketing? Um, I, I don't know if I can say because we, we're going to make some changes that we, haven't, that we haven't announced yet, and I'm not exactly sure what they're going to be. So I probably... I probably can't say, like, there's a very big one that we've realized. There's a really consistent response we get from people. Um, and it's nothing to do with the quality of our service. It's just it's just an overall feeling that there's a group of people in the market. And I'm just going to sound like a wanker talking about this because I know you want me to tell you what it is, but I just can't. <laughs> but there's an overall feeling that um, there's, this sort of, there's, a, there's a big group in the market that we aren't satisfying uh, and we're saying no to a lot of people, and the, and we're, we're um, there's a lot of people who who want something slightly different to what we're offering, and 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 we know that, and we just need to figure out a way to do it. And we wouldn't have known, you know, we probably wouldn't have even known that if we didn't send this email. Like we used to send an email and said, oh, how could we improve the service? And we got nothing out of that. I mean, people just say nothing. It's good. It's a good service. You can't improve it. Why the fuck are you leaving there? Um, <laughs> But yeah, but when you have, I mean, when you have 250 customers, you're going to get some people leaving. And I, I, I can give you something. I mean, I, I would like to tell you what that one is because that's a really big fundamental thing that I think is going to have a massive impact on our business. But I'll tell you a, a very small one, which is um, we get a lot of people sign up and they don't realize things about the service. And it could be something like they don't realize it's a monthly subscription, even though it says that. Um, and we've updated the page, so it's super clear about that. They don't realize it's not for unlimited websites. So we get agencies sign up um, and say, you know, you know, here's my site. I've got a bunch of other clients who want support and we have to explain that it's not unlimited and therefore they cancel. So we go back to the copy on the website and make sure that's super clear and put up a big sign saying no agencies allowed. Um, <laughs> so there's little things like that that you pick up. Uh, you know, I, have you learned that waiting. agencies are not good customers? Yeah, I mean, I there's a few things because because we I get a lot of emails from people with ideas now for businesses and there's a few red flags for me and I know there are examples of people who've been able to build. I mean, Jason Fried is a good example. He's the ultimate example of someone who's been able to be an agency and build a product for agencies 
Yeah. Um, but there's not that many more. You know, there's really there's really not that many. There's so much competition. There's so many like so many people like you and me have come out of building stuff for other people, and we come into this and we immediately think, oh, we'll scratch our own itch. But the problem with that is you're you're a very very bad predictor of how important things are to you. And and uh, one one thing one question I like to ask is like a, a guy yesterday emailed me about a, an app he's working on, and so my question was what app are you currently using to solve this problem? And often the answer to that is, oh, I'm not using anything because they're not good enough. And it's like, well, if it was a really big problem, you would be using something. Um, yeah. you, would, you might not be happy with it, but you would be paying somebody to solve the problem. So that's something I think people get fundamentally wrong is they're like, they want to build something cool for agencies. Oh, this would help agencies, which is yeah. what I did. But, it, it, you know, they're, they're a very difficult customer. They've got a lot of people who are trying to sell them things. Um, and they've got a lot of problems. Normally, they're not little things that, you know, little feel-good things. They're usually fundamental things to do with, like, retention and am I actually making enough money and how do I differentiate? They're, they're like the agency problems. They're not like, how do I write better proposals or how do I get better analytics type thing. Yeah. That's such a good point about scratching your own itch because we always talk about scratching your own itch. And I think some people, like, the best way I can think of to illustrate this is a story from, like, early 20s where I decided to start two skateboard snowboard shops. And in my head, I was scratching my own itch because I was a snowboarder. I hung out with snowboarders. I worked for a snowboard manufacturing company. I felt like I knew the industry. I knew all this stuff. Yeah. And, and so in, in my head, it's like I'm scratching my own itch. This makes sense. There's one big problem, and that was I didn't really shop at skateboard and snowboard stores. I was... <laughs> I was in the industry, and so I got a lot of my product through industry friends, and yeah. I, I wasn't actually the person going in and buying stuff. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's like that in the web industry. We like we think, oh, you know, like I really want to exactly what you said. Like, what product did you actually pay for that solves this problem right now that you just hate so much? Like, it's making you bleed out of your eyeballs because it's so bad. It it's ruining your life every day that you use it. Yeah. If people are saying, "Well, we use, you know, Basecamp and it's pretty good," like there's no real reason to change, and I didn't pay for it, my boss paid for it. Well, yeah. it's not really scratching your own itch, is it? Yeah, that's right. And I think particularly with that audience, agencies like you often sort of see these apps who are saying, you know, we'll we'll save you time or we'll make your clients happier or um those kind of things that I mean, obviously they care about, but They've got much bigger problems, and they've got thousands of different apps that they could potentially buy to, you know, save them a bit of time or make their clients a little bit happier. But that's that's not that's not a fundamental problem. And I think I think this is like scratching your own itch is fraught with danger because it's ex exactly the same problem that you have when you try to validate an idea as opposed to just launching and looking at what people do, which is people are very, very bad predictors of their behavior, yourself included. So, um, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if I would have paid for informally. Like, in hindsight, I thought I was building something that I really needed, but, I mean, I don't pay for analytics. I use Google Analytics. It's free. It's pretty good. Um, I, I had, I'd never paid for a dashboard before, like an analytics dashboard. Um, my clients hadn't paid for it. They, I don't even know if they cared about it. I mean... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and but, yeah. but I thought 
I thought like you know it'd be awesome to have all your stats in the one place and that's kind of what you need, but people are just very very bad predictors of that. Like unless unless you've done it a few times, I think um, you probably get better at that, like working out what the real problems are, or if you've got some sort of framework that you're working working with. Um, but just generally asking people or even asking yourself is is just fraught with danger. Yeah. So let's let's take people through this framework. First of all, how do you find a good idea? Like, where where do you think like do ideas just come from staying up late at night and something pops into your head? What what do you think? Where do you think good ideas come from? Well, I yeah. So in the book, I have a chapter on how to choose the best idea as opposed to how to find a good idea because. I don't really, I mean, unless you're kind of like a Steve Jobs type person, then I don't think it's going to be, the, like I think the idea is important, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be the idea that determines whether or not you succeed or fail, because I think what, what is going to happen is you will pick, uh, you know, whatever idea is fundamentally the best, and then you'll work on that, and then you'll change it so much based on what people tell you that it'll be unrecognizable, you know, in a year's time. So, um. I don't spend really any time in the book on talking about how to find ideas. Like I kind of, I, I kind of feel like most people have a fair idea of what they could work on, but they don't know, like which idea is better than the next idea. That's yeah. that's the that's the angle I've approached it from. So like I provided a, like a framework where I've got nine criteria that people can look at to say, okay, like like when I launched my business, I had four different things I could have worked on. I could have worked on a surfing app. Um, analytics dashboard, an SEO app, or um, or a pot plant stand. That was the that was the fourth one <laughs> that I wanted to work on. Why didn't um, you work on that? Well, I, because I knew nothing about pot plants or manufacturing. <laughs> <laughs> but but the I mean, in hindsight, none of them were good ideas. But I didn't really know at the time. I kind of. I didn't work on that because I didn't know about manufacturing. I didn't work on the surfing one because I really had no idea how I would make money with it. Um, and I think in hindsight, again, that was a classic thing where like, I thought this was solving a problem, but I hadn't tried to solve it in other ways. So I think I was actually just trying to build something cool. Um, the SEO app was, was designed to give people ready access to a bunch of link building tactics that ended up being squashed by Google. So thank God I didn't work on that. Um, and the analytics dashboard ended up failing. But I think... Yeah, so 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 in terms of like choosing the best idea, I think I would have if I could have gone back and used this criteria on those ideas, all of them would have failed so miserably. I would have gone back to the, gone gone back to the scratch and just thought, hang on a second, I need to actually work on something that is going to be fundamentally a good idea. So um, I can go through some of the points in here if you like, like around. Yeah. You're talking about this this post right here, right? The nine elements of great bootstrapped business ideas. Yeah. So this, so my with the content of the book, I'm putting it all up on the web, or I'm doing interviews like this, or putting it on the blog, or on Medium, or whatever. So it's all, all the contents out there. But yeah, I've got a a post on my my blog, um, which is the nine elements of of bootstrap business ideas. Yeah. And in the, in there, I provide a Google Doc that people can use. Um, but a lot of these things came as a result of me me kind of screwing businesses up and trying to wonder like how I managed to screw them up and why and most of them you can trace them all the way back to the idea because they're they're just fundamentally wrong yeah um, and so what are, what are some of the elements of a good idea that you describe in that post right so yeah I mean maybe going through all of them is too much but 
the first the first one I have in there is like enjoyable daily tasks. So I I started one business that was sending cheap iPhone cases to people, like selling them online via a discount store, which I'm sure everyone has thought about doing at one point. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a horrible business because I, I didn't want to sit there packing iPhone cases. Like the work involved with doing that business was just not enjoyable to me. So you need to visualize what you're actually going to be doing day to day. And even if I think about my last business, like that was actually a local consultancy, like if I was to envision like what I would be doing every day, it would be going out and presenting at workshops and having coffee with people and trying to convince them that they need a website. And like I hate doing that kind of stuff. So why would I start a business doing that kind of stuff? Eventually it's going to get you. You know, yeah. you're going to come up against people who love doing that kind of stuff and they're going to kill you. So, yeah. I, so that's just is, fundamental. That is such an important thing. I That's like usually the first question I ask people when they come with, to me with an idea is they'll say, uh, you know, I'm building an application for lawyers. And I'll go, well, do you hang out with lawyers all the time right now? <laughs> and they'll go, well, no. Well, do you, like, have any friends that are lawyers? No. Do you even <laughs> like lawyers? No? <laughs> no, hang on. You don't have to ask that question. No one likes lawyers. <laughs> but can you imagine, like, people, the reason they're building an app for lawyers is because they think lawyers have money, so I'm going to build an app for lawyers. But they don't realize you're going to have to serve lawyers, hang yeah. out with them, write content for them, answer the phone for them, uh, you know, answer their phone calls, answer their emails every single day for as long as your product exists. Yeah. And you're not going to be good at it because you don't like it. And there are people who will be really good at it because they do like it and they're going to win. Exactly. So that's a great point. I love that one. What's yeah, so, another one? Uh, so the, I mean, this, this, oh, as I say, I won't go through all of them, but this, these just come from fundamental mistakes that I've made. And, and one of them was um, can't operate, can operate profitably without the founder. And by that I mean, like with my agency, if I was to take myself out of the business at any point and replace myself with staff, the whole thing would have gone, it, it would have died instantly because the, just fundamentally, like the jobs required to run that business were very, very expensive to replace. Um, so, you know, I, I did SEO, I did, I mean, sales, even though I wasn't good at it, I was still a person who had to do it. Yeah. Um, we did some some sort of copywriting. We did design. We did development. We did hosting. Um, we did content. I, I did all the content for the blog. So if I was if I was to get like seven different people to do those jobs, which we would need to to keep the business going, then it would go underwater. So you can think about that at the idea stage. You can really like part of my fundamental aspects of choosing WP Curve was I had to choose a business idea where I could get people to do the work that would still enable to me to maintain a profit margin. So that's why we chose WordPress support and small jobs because I can hire WordPress developers very cheaply and um, they have all the skills required to service our customers. We don't do any design because you can't hire good designers. I'd have to charge, charge 10 times as much if we did design. We don't do any content content for our clients or uh, you name it. You, you name the service, it would have fundamentally changed what I was doing. Um, so that kind of stuff you can think about at the idea stage. Like, it's fine to create a job for yourself and, you know, okay, I'm going to do conversion optimization for clients, but what happens when you get to the point where you really do need to replace yourself for whatever reason? It could be that you're just not motivated doing the work. It could be you've grown to a point where you just 
can't physically do it anymore. It could mean you're not making enough money, so you need to grow. What happens at that point? Um, and it might the answer might not be just doing tasks that can be done by cheap staff. I mean, the answer might be doing jobs that can be automated, or it might be charging ten times as much. But you really need to think about that um, yeah. at the idea stage. I think. Yeah, that that is also a very really good point. You, I've talked to quite a few people who have set up businesses, and then they're six months in or a year in, and they just realize the grind to keep that thing going, the way they set it up is really difficult. And in some ways, this is what um, if you remember the Woo Themes guys ran into this. They started selling themes. Uh, with unlimited uh, support that never expired. And they came to a realization, we can't do this anymore. We have to, if we're going to make, you know, if we're going to make money and this is going to be sustainable, we have to charge more and we have to put a limit on the amount of support that we give. Yeah. Yeah. So what, so what I do in our business is I have a spreadsheet where I can, and, and I provide these resources in the book as well, and they'll be free on the web. Um, the book's free. I don't know if I said that already, but it'll be free when it comes oh, out. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah. No way. Um, yeah, just like a, a ebook version. Um, so, That's yeah, awesome. and all the resources will be free as well. So, so one of them is like, I, I think like people hear the advice: you have to work on your business, not in your business. And I think that's ba bad advice because you do have to work both. Early on, you definitely have to work in your business. I mean, you need to be the one who's on the live chat talking to customers. I mean, the idea of getting like outsourced live chat, you know, at an early stage business, I think is just crazy. Like, it needs to be you. You need to really fundamentally understand what the problems are of your customers, um, and you need your business needs to be so heavily dependent on you that it would fail without you. I, I believe that early on, but there needs to be like a you need to have some understanding of what happens when you when you get out of that stage. So, like in our business, we know our profit margin at the moment is a certain percentage because we're doing a lot of the customer support stuff, and you know we haven't we haven't hired project managers or whatever. Um, we know that profit margin will go down once we do that, but we know it won't go down to a point where we're unprofitable. So, just just even just having a spreadsheet to estimate. Like where you are now, where your business would be without you in the business, doesn't mean you have to take yourself out of the business, but it means you you recognise you will at some point, um, and yeah, having an understanding of what it looks like without you, having those tools, I think to to really estimate like what is the percentage, what sort of money we would be making if if I wasn't here. So I I hope that kind of stuff is useful to people. Yeah, I think that's a good place to leave it, Dan. Thanks so much for. Uh for coming on today. Yeah, it, it was fun. Um, I'm sorry it was just so hippie-like. I'm just going to go meditate now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. So if you folks want to see more of what Dan is doing, we've got wpcurve.com. We've got the blog, wpcurve.com slash blog. And is that the best place to find out about the book? Yeah, so if you go to wpcurve.com forward slash seven day startup, that's at the moment it's just a landing page to jump on the email list, which is where we'll we'll um give the book away. 
once it's launched, uh, I'll just put the book up there. It'll just be a free download, and all the resources to do with it will be on there as well. But there's a bunch of content on the blog, and I like my email list is where I send my best content. So I did a post on Medium a week ago that went really well. It's not on the blog, but that that all goes out to the email list, so you can jump on there and get my emails and reply if you've got any questions. I read read and reply to all of them. Perfect. So again, that's WP Curve slash the number seven day startup. And you can get on the email list and uh, and then follow along on WPCurve slash sorry, WPCurve.com slash blog where Dan is posting a lot of this content. Beauty. Thanks so much, Dan. Awesome. Thanks, Justin. That's cool. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.